this week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review handed over by Dinosaur Jr. It's as if you were transported into the most awesome Ace Frehley guitar solo. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't even know why I host a podcast. <laughs> if you're going to write a song that's that long, God's sake, perform. Hey, old man, if you're into Neil Young, maybe you should check out some of this Dinosaur Jr. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, mi amigo... Jason Ziak. Jay, we are um, tackling a band I didn't think we'd get to because I sort of put them on the too big to review pedestal. But as they sort of molded over and realized that only people like us still like this band or remember this band, and that being sort of music geeks, they haven't attained Pearl Jam or Soundgarden status, I think, with the masses. I think they're, they're kind of a on a second tier in terms of their popularity. I think that makes us okay to take a listen to Dinosaur Jr. Would you agree with that? Yeah, they're second second tier, but I definitely think they're uh, you know, hey, he's got a career, right? Oh yeah, I, this is it's not a slight against them having a career. I'm just saying they you know they basically had the one big hit with Feel the Pain, and then we're going to review the Handed Over album, which came out after they had the big hit and then the band disappeared and Jay Mastis, lead singer, guitar player, went on his own and we'll get into this, his solo career, but they They, never really achieved what some of their brethren in terms of mass popularity. Well, you know what's funny though is uh, they probably have had the career or he has had the career that like somebody like Eddie Vedder pretends like he wish he had. You know what I mean? The guys who like Eat success and they just want to do their own thing and he's basically done that so yeah that's a good point yeah because those Eddie Vedder solo albums are not particularly good um so we are reviewing Handed Over the last album of the 90s lineup and the reason why we picked this one well there's two reasons Dinosaur Jr. has a new album out with the original lineup and so we thought it'd be a great time to revisit a Dinosaur Jr. album. Uh, this was also, oddly enough, when I was trying to figure out, well, there's four albums from the 90s that we could pick. I was trying to figure out which one to choose, and then I was looking at through Wikipedia, and there's a quote on Wikipedia that, according to Magnet Magazine, there was an interview with Jay Massis in, in the 2007 edition of Magnet Magazine, and he said that Hand It Over is his favorite album from the group's major label period of the 1990s. So that includes Green Mind, Where You Bend, and Without a Sound, which I think, and we'll get into this probably more later, um, that's definitely one era of the band. I think the, the 80s represents a particular era, and then the, the 90s rep, with the major label signing uh, separates them into a, a separate era. And then I guess you'd say that the reunition when they reunited uh, in 2005, and they've put out some albums since then. Um, that's probably like the third era of well, or it's or it's era one part two because it's a continuation of their 80s era with that lineup. Anyway, it's getting confusing, but it's all sound logic, I think, right there. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's sound logic. For why we picked this album? Should we just get into the history of the band, Jay? Is that what we should do? Let's do it. All right. History of the band. History of the band. 
formed as Dinosaur in 1984 in Amherst, Massachusetts by Jay Massis, that's just the letter J, and Lou Barlow, J on drums, Lou on bass. They were previously in a band called Deep Wound together while they were in high school. Their first lineup, before they settled on the name Dinosaur, was called Mogo, and it was Emmett Patrick Murphy, better known as Murph, on drums, and Charlie Nakajima on vocals. But after their first gig, Nakajima got kicked out of the band. Well, it's not exactly what happened, but during the first show, he went on a rant about the cops, and Jay Massis was embarrassed at the show, so he broke up the band and then called Lou and Murph and said, we're going to form a new band and are calling it Dinosaur. So basically, they kicked out Charlie for his onstage antics. A friend of theirs uh, named Gerald Cosloy had recently formed Homestead Records, and he gave the band $500 to record their debut album. And that came out in 1985, self-titled Dinosaur on Homestead Records. Uh, two years later, they released You're Living All Over Me. That was released on the legendary West Coast punk rock label SST in 1987. A year later, Bug came out, uh, also on SST. And now this is when things get messy. In a, a year later, in 1989, Lou Barlow was kicked out, replaced at first by Donna Dresch on bass, then Don Fleming, who's better known as a producer, um, on bass, and then Jay Spiegel uh, joined the band for a while, and they re- they were only recording uh, they only appear on the recording "The Wagon," which was the single released prior to the band signing with Sire Records, which they released in February of 1991, the album "Green Mind." Uh, the band added Mike Johnson on touring bass at that point. And in 1983, they released, the February of 1983, they released the album. 93. Yeah. February. Sorry, February of 1993, they released the album Where You Been. Uh, after the release of that album, Murph left the band and Jay Massis took over drumming. It was basically at this point Jay Massis and Mike Johnson in the band. And they released the album in August 1994, Without a Sound, also on Sire Records. And then at this point, Mike Johnson left the band, and Jay Massis did everything, and he released this album in March of 1987, uh, 1997, excuse me. Jesus. I'm stuck in the 80s. I know. March of 1997, handed over. It was the last Dinosaur Jr. release on Sire Records. The band broke up. Uh, while... This was going on. Lou Barlow was releasing albums with Sebado, Centrado, Folk Implosion, various. <laughs> Wait, they broke up after the record he did all by himself? Well, he did a. No, they were already broken up. I mean, well, he retired the Dinosaur Jr. name. I should okay. put it that way. There you go. So while he, Lou Barlow was in Dinosaur Jr., and then immediately afterwards, he formed. Sebado, and then a side project called Centrado, and then Folk Implosion. Folk Implosion had a minor hit with Natural One from the kids' soundtrack, you might remember. Jay Massis released a solo album in 1986 called Martin and Me, prior to the Handed Over album, and then he continued making more solo albums, both by himself and then with the backing backing band The Fog, which included, I believe, Mike Watt of 
the Minutemen on bass for some of those recordings. In 2005, the early albums from the 80s were being reissued, and Jay Massis, Lou Barlow, and Murph reunited to play the Craig Ferguson show and continued to play shows and started recording. And in May of 2007, they released the album Beyond on Fat Possum Records. Two years later, in June of 2009, they released the album Farm on Jag Jaguar Records. And as we mentioned, they have a new album coming out, should be out right now, on Jag Jaguar Records. It's called I Bet on Sky. That's the 10th album from Dinosaur Jr. So, that's the truncated version. Now, I, 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 I couldn't find any internet confirmation for this, but I believe that part of the story with Lou Barlow leaving the band is that they were playing a show and they got into a fight on stage and Lou Barlow hit Jay Maskus in the head with his bass. I can't find confirmation of that, so if anybody who's listening to this podcast wants to leave a little comment and chime in whether or not that's, that's true, but that's a story it's one of those stories that you heard you heard back in the day before there was like internet, you heard like Jay Maskus got his clock cleaned by Lou Barlow on stage. Don't sure know if that's it. true. Mike Johnson that did that? Maybe it was Mike. See, maybe that's where the story got messed up. Maybe it was Mike Johnson. Yeah, I'm all screwed up. That's one of the things. Yeah, I'm, I'm remembering the story, but I'm trying to piece together who it was for. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. So I mentioned that Jay, in terms of significant album information, Jay played everything on this album. He literally played every instrument, wrote every song, plays the drums, the bass, guitar, vocals, backing vocals which is the only Dinosaur Dinosaur Jr. album that's like this. Uh, There are some where he's handling most of the duties, but he's brought in, he had Mike Johnson playing bass, or he had somebody coming in and singing backup vocals or whatnot. But this is 100%, as far as the album liner notes are concerned, uh, Mr. Massis. So, Jay, my question to you is, and I know you're a Dinosaur Jr. fan, in the canon of Dinosaur Jr. albums, does Jay going it on his own make for the ultimate Dinosaur Jr. album? Or is this <laughs> lacking when there aren't as many ingredients in the stew? Uh, that's an interesting way to put it. Um, you know, I, I get all I get the 90s records starting with kind of with Green Mind, but more with Where You Been. Um, without a sound and hand it over. I get those three records fairly confused um, in terms of what songs are on which, and to me, they sound pretty similar. The one, the thing that makes this one a little bit different is that, um, yeah, he's playing everything, even though I don't think that makes it sound... You know, he, he, he it sounds like Dinosaur Jr. You know, it's not like he's... Mm-hmm. The thing that though that um i think separates it is he he does push the boundaries a little bit in terms of experimenting with other other instruments on here right more so than probably any other record he's ever done Um, i think that's what makes this album unique in the overall canon if you will of dinosaur jr so you know i i think in some ways you know it's a little indulgent um so i guess you could argue that perhaps it is the ultimate uh Dinosaur Jr. record in terms of uh, you know it's him doing everything and anything he wants. 
Um, and in some ways, you know, I, I think that works. And in other ways, uh, maybe not so much. But, uh, you know, I, it definitely, um, I think it stands out amongst the crowd for sure. And when you, is, say, when, you, when you say self-indulgent, one of the things that's, I think, different about this album compared to any other Dinosaur Jr. album is that there are horned instruments on this album, which I don't think appear on any other that I can recall. There's a trumpet on the song I'm Insane. And it's not just like occasionally there. Like it starts the song and you're just like slapped in the face with it. Like, wow, he's really throwing a trumpet lead at the beginning of this song. crazy because not only is that song crazy because there's a trumpet but and <laughs> correct me if i'm wrong but that there's no consistent tempo to that song like it seems like it speeds up like there's it goes verse and then it speeds up to another verse and another verse and like they get slightly faster and faster and then boom it just drops down into like a halftime part and then it goes into this chorus at the end where it's like he layered like i don't know how many guitars or something like that it's just so heavy and of course bad ass <laughs> And there's a piano the in part, there. Yeah, yeah, the guitar part in that is just oh so good. The, the they and just you know there's like an avalanche of them. They just layer on top of each other. Funny. I mean, the trumpet and the what is it? Uh, is it trick? 
what, what track has the flute? The track flute. two, never bought it, has the flute. Yeah, um, they are intro. not subtle. No not subtle inclusions of those instruments. No, that one makes oh. Jethro Tull proud. <laughs> and uh, it's hard to tell if they're real instruments or if they're keyboard instruments. The sax, I was wondering that, yeah. Or the trumpet performance sounds a little keyboardy, just in the way that it's the way the notes are played. But uh, yeah, it is right there in your face, and he's not shy about it. It's not like sometimes you hear instruments like that. You know, they're sort of just layer guitar part. This is, it is an integral uh, melody from the get-go. And, you know, he's singing along with it. You know, it's kind of doing a counter melody to him, which is, it's it's ballsy and it, it works. I mean, I, I'm no fan of, <laughs> of instruments like that, but just, to, you know, from a melody song standpoint, it, it works. other guys in the band that he probably wouldn't have got he wouldn't have been brave enough probably to do that or wouldn't have got away with doing it you know? no kind of makes it a little bit different in an unexpected way you know i mentioned the, the horn instruments on track 11 it's a banjo based song yeah so you're dealing with he's playing in a lot of different genres you know that that has the country element. There's a country element to track ten. I know you're insane. Where he does some really fast acoustic picking. It's weird. This is probably the most diverse. And I, you know, I've gone back and I've listened to since they've been remastering the catalog. Gone back and listened to a lot of those albums. And there's diversity in terms of the way they approach like different rock genres, like metal. There's kind of like a little bit of a metal influence or a punk influence, but they don't ever approach. A lot of the stuff that he approached on just this one album. I mean, it's really unique, and it's jarring at first. And even just the way that the whole album starts with, I don't think it's like this chugging. You know, it's not what you would think of as a lead song or lead, um, yeah, lead song on an album. Where I think about like, like uh, where you been starts off with, I think, uh, start chopping. It's mm-hmm. a pretty like iconic guitar riff. Out there, it starts with. Oh, it starts with out there. It's a very like classic '80s kind of sounding riff. Yes. Yeah. 
and yeah, I, I don't think it's it's more drum driven and it's a rhythm that you know is a little different from him. I mean, he get you know he has his trappings and what types of rhythms and things mm-hmm. that he likes to play, and that one's a little bit different. I think what's fun, and I think we can both speak to this as musicians, is that it's cool to hear an artist who is stretching what you would normally think of as their sound, even if it's not necessarily always successful. It makes you go, man, I never even thought that I could layer that sort of sound over top of, you know, yeah. a big rock guitar and make it, you know, sound successful in one song, but maybe it didn't work in another song, but maybe I could try to do it in a different way in another song. And I think even though this is a really odd album, and I don't even know that I necessarily love the whole album the way I really like Where You Been or Green Mind, it's still like, I still find myself listening to it all the way through, even though I'm like, yeah, this song's not. Yeah. This song isn't great. Yeah, it, uh, you know, it, it the addition of the other instruments, you know, keeps it interesting and, and and gives it some shifts and there's some dynamics that happen in this album that are maybe a little bit unique in terms of uh, later on in songs, things are introduced or there's some shifts and stuff here and there, but that, that probably helps keep your interest, you know. And, and everything's fairly short, you know. Everything's in under four minutes for the most part. There's one song that's that's eight. Yeah, we need to get to that song because <laughs> alone. Well, it it turns out that that's probably one of my favorite Dinosaur Junior songs of all time. Yeah. And there's a couple reasons why. It sounds like I know he doesn't like this comparison, but it reminds me a lot of '70s Neil Young songs oh, like yeah. Danger Bird, where it's just like the tempo is incredibly slow, and he's just kind of moving along at his own pace and then just throws in these blazing guitar solos and the one that totally kills me is there's a guitar solo there's multiple guitar solos in the song which makes it awesome but there's one that starts about 330 in and at 356 he starts doing these like I don't even know what he's doing There's, there's these rapid slides down the neck they sound like laser blasts
take it this time. At 419, um, he takes it up. Like, he starts doing these really high bends, and it sounds totally awesome. Uh, and then at 433... He just throws in these like little melodic runs, and by 5:20, you get like you're at like two minutes of this solo, and it just <laughs> drops out. Yeah. And you're at, and you're at this, you get this acoustic guitar and vocal part, but the the amp is like smoking in the background. Yeah. You just hear it like <laughs> you can hear it just wanting to like yeah. rage yeah. again, and you're like, oh, this is so awesome. I mean, like when people talk about solos being like self-indulgent, like that to me is the epitome of what a great solo sounds like because it's so emotional and so like he's just letting it all go when he's you yeah. know shredding there it just sounds so it's not technical it's not like somebody's finger tapping and, and just doing a mile a minute it's just it's so heavy and it's that's one of my favorite i think it's one of my favorite moments of any part that he's ever played of any song oh we've reviewed a lot of albums that have six seven eight minute nine minute songs this is probably <laughs> the best one. Oh yeah uh, you know, if you're gonna write a song that's that long for god's sake perform you know give me a performance on it i don't want to hear uh, something you looped and you hit you know mm-hmm. hit play and just plays i want to hear you perform and he yeah absolutely from start to finish this is a performance on all different levels. It's probably also one of the most emotional songs he's ever written. You know, mm-hmm. even even the take out the guitar solo, even just the vocal and the chords and the way that it all comes together, just the, the basic roots of the song, you know, are just so depressing. <laughs> but not, I mean, in the best possible, you know, a good depressing. Like, oh, yeah. I totally believe it. Um, and a lot, you know, that's probably one of my biggest knocks against him. There's uh, a lot of his music just lyrically. You don't, I don't know, I don't necessarily connect on a lyrical level because they're just sort of like vague, you know, references of I know, you know, we can't. Uh, just like weird, like vague statements and stuff. And this mm-hmm. one is, um, it's not vague at all. You know, you kind of, it pulls you in, you feel it from the beginning to the end. And then there's just like, you just went through those raging guitar solos that just, are the you know exclamation point on top of all of that you know it, it, like you said it's a, it's it's slow it's very slow and that's I think we've talked about in the past that's hard to keep you know your attention for that uh, you know for a long span of time with a song that's slow I mean geez that's that's a challenge yeah and, that can uh, be death yeah <laughs> uh, yeah I think he pulls it he pulls it off pretty well well the nice thing is, is that he has a song like that which is it's really long. And it's slow, and it's right in the middle of the album. But he balances it with a lot of short songs, and probably he balances it one, with one of the best pure singles that he ever wrote with Nothing's Going On.
starts out with that like summer of 69 you know one chord just being pounded on yeah um and it, it's in the vein of i would say feel the pain in the sense that the lyrics are pretty clear whereas i feel like a lot of the times like his lyrics are muffled and you can't really yeah. hear what he's saying but you can hear what he's saying and it's got melody to it which you know i don't know why that wasn't a bigger single when it came out i guess because it was 97 so it just wasn't the right time for that sort of a song to be a big hit but that's probably the catchiest song. Wake, I think it's catchier than Feel the Pain in terms of singles. Would you well, agree? It's, you know, it's interesting with those two songs that um, you know, going back and, and revisiting this record, it made me appreciate, well, just it made me appreciate how important the bass can be to, to Dinosaur mm-hmm. Jr., and that's often overlooked. You know, uh, I think the band is, if they're known, they're known for the guitar, um, just onslaught. <laughs> yeah. Uh, be completely over the top but to the point where, you know, his solos are mixed super extremely obnoxiously loud and just i mean it's just all about guitars and i think those uh those two songs i think they're similar in that the melody is actually provided by the bass part mm-hmm. uh, so it, it just gave me and especially on this album because he's playing both parts so it gave me a you know a lot more appreciation for him as a musician and a songwriter and, and somebody who can write you know, from both points of view, he doesn't. He, he plays bass like a bass player, you know, and he plays guitar like a guitar player. Sometimes you would expect, you know, a guitar player to try to play guitarish kind of parts on bass if they're going to provide the bass. But, you know, he, he does both well. And this is a case where the bass gets to shine and you get to appreciate that it can carry a melody, it can carry a, a bit of the hook of the song. You know, I don't think that he gets enough credit probably for how good a musician and how good a how good his melodies are that they can stick in your head both on both with his vocals and with his guitar parts you know he's creating a lot of really memorable guitar parts and the one thing that i i read which was interesting because i never really thought about it until I, I started listening to this record is that he said that he was really influenced by the ramones and one of the things that he noticed when he was learning to play guitar was that they would play really high up the neck like they weren't playing at the two and thir- three fret; they were playing at like twelve and thirteen to get their E str- to get E chords and their A chords and stuff like that. So he learned to play really high up the neck, which allowed him to do a lot of fast chord changes and be a lot more nimble with his playing. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm wondering if the, that's what I think that you know nobody's ever really done what he's done guitar-wise. And I'm wondering if that's what really sets him apart. That it's it's that style of guitar playing, which is sort of like the Ramones filtered through Neil Young, which mm. is a really bizarre, you know, combination. Yeah, I never really thought of it that way. I know that um, sort of when I pl- when I want to play and sound like him, I find if I fret at the third fret, uh, I've always found that I can kind of you know write or play riffs and stuff that sounds similar to them, and that totally makes sense then because I mean you're naturally gonna you're moving. <laughs> You're moving up. You're getting higher um, by putting right. that, that capo on. So yeah, that makes sense. I, I never really thought of that, but that's totally true. And so that that eliminates like, you know, he probably doesn't play a ton of big open chords. Sort of like you know, ACDC, right? Half their songs are big full open chords. Right. So he's doing anything like that, which you know totally changes the tone well, of the songs, but also yeah, like how fast you can change chords and how what accents you can add and that sort of thing. Well, I think ACDC gets to cheat a little bit because, you know, they've got two guitar players. They got one guy playing the big open chords, and then if you watch what Angus Young is doing, he's usually playing the chord 
when he's playing the riff, but he's only playing like the top three strings, yeah. which allows him to, you know, stay out of the range of the uh, of the bass. So he's sort of like at the top end, the bass is at the low end, and then that rhythm guitar is filling in the middle, which mm-hmm. what really def- is their whole sound basically right there. Let's well, interesting that he sing uh, on the uh, Dinosaur Junior stuff that makes me want to go back and listen again to hear like because he you know obviously throughout this album he switches from falsetto mm-hmm. to normal vocal and i'm wondering if he if there's some correlation between like where the chords are played and whether he's singing falsetto or in his normal voice or if he just you know arbitrarily just decides that or if there's some sort of magic to that decision his songwriting is a, as big a mystery to me as like ozzy osbourne like i don't understand how you write a whole song like this yeah. It's it seems like it's you I don't know where your starting point is like if he's just sitting down with an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar and he sort of like noodles around and finds a riff but then like if you're recording every single part what do you which one do you start with do you lay down a scratch guitar track and then lay down your drum track or do you put your drums down just by memory and then lay your your bass and your guitar on top of that or like what's the how do you do that I don't know because it's particularly with this album um it sounds like a performance and the drum parts are not like just looped parts like okay here's the first part there's two patterns in it then i do a fill then here's the chorus which is one pattern and then i do a fill and i go back to the it's not like that i mean there's no fills all over this album and there's very specific um you know the, uh, the guitar riff and the and the drum, uh, drums will lock up you know tight kind of play the same part and just it sounds like a band which is to go back to what you were talking about, like where do you start and how do you construct this? When you consider what it ends up sounding like, it makes it even more confusing for me to how yeah. this gets. I mean, I would imagine there's maybe some process of you know demoing it um, and then performing maybe a, 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 a guitar part based on the demo and then reconstructing you know the studio parts on top of that. But it still comes to me. It sounds very banned. And it sounds very performance oriented. And I've always sounds, been confused about like which of the albums he did by himself and which ones he did with other people and how many other people. Right. It sounds more like a band than bands than a lot of bands. Like in terms <laughs> of its like yeah, like the performance aspect. Like the drums are a little loose and he throws in a lot of fills and the tempos aren't always exactly on. Sometimes he speeds up or he slows down. Right. Which you expect out of a regular band. And yet he's able to create this looser feel than most bands are able to pull off which is pretty <laughs> astounding <laughs> i know it's kind of crazy uh the one other song i wanted to mention just because it, it's so pretty awesome is can't we move this it just starts with that guitar lead <laughs> i don't even know what to say i mean i'll just play the <laughs> clip and
it's it's so awesome. But the cool part is uh, when he gets to the end, he adds these like I don't even know if they're pizzicato, pizzicato or if that's the right word, but there's these string sections towards the end of the song. It's really cool. It's, and if he, it's not like so, he hasn't used strings before. He used them on Where You Been and Timpani th- and stuff like that. I think uh, I think it's actually a Mellotron. I was listening to it close. Oh, okay. And uh, it has that weird, quirky kind of loop sound to it. And I think it might be a Mellotron string. That would make sense but, then. But yeah, that song starts off with... Uh, it's as if you were transported into the most awesome Ace Frehley guitar solo that he ever recorded. <laughs> like you just drop right in the middle of it, and that's where the song starts. You're like, "Whoa!" There's this blazing guitar solo, and then you know it's only four minutes long, but by the end, you know he's bringing in, he's bringing in strings and Mellotron, and you're like, "Geez, that was a hell of a journey for four minutes." Damn. Wait, I have a, I have to bring in a special guest right here, Katie. Can you explain uh, Pizzicato? Um, when you play a an orchestra string instrument with your fingers instead of bow. Okay, so that's not what I was. Then I was wrong on what that was. That then sound was. What was it? They're playing like really fast notes. Like da 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 Yeah, that's not. Okay. <laughs> I got. What is that? What is that? But what is? Is there a name for that when you play that fast? No. Like thirty, there's just thirty second notes or something. Probably. Okay. Depending on how it's written. I'm sorry. I was using when I go through the presets on my uh, GarageBand uh, string sections. They sometimes name them like legato and pizzicato, pizzicato or pizzicato. 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 But it's two P, two Z's, right? Correct. Like that, that. That describes the the type of like the bow movement, like the. Well, pizzicato is short. no bow. Okay. Okay. Thank well, you, strings you. expert. Well, now he's got me thinking. And like no. staccato, staccato, what you're like, make sense. staccato is like a bow muted, like eh, 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 eh. legato is like sustained. Okay. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't even know why I host a podcast. <laughs> I'm a, I'm musically illiterate. Yeah, it should be just you and Jay, the learned folk. You guys will be starting your music education podcast next week. So I think you got any last words on this album, Jay? I think we've covered. A lot yeah, of I think I think of the '90s records. It it's um, you know where where you been is always going to be my favorite. It's it's where I discovered the band. It, it, yeah, pretty important record for me personally. And you know I think this one is probably a second. I've never been a fan of Without a Sound. I don't know maybe because it had the hit on it, but it's never really uh, connected with me the way that these two do. Um, and I kind of like Green Mind. Just yeah, it has a little bit of a different mix to it. There's like more acoustic guitar and stuff mixed in. And yeah, you know, this is probably my second favorite record from them. So, as an overall rating, do you give this an album, an EP, or a single rating? Oh, I give it an album for sure. Uh, I, you know, I don't think there's anything. There's maybe one slow song on here I could do without. But uh, I mean, even, sure, not over you. Or yeah, gotta know. Yeah. Those are the only two that I'd be fine. Yeah, I don't care. I'm in the same boat with you. I don't really love those two songs. They're just, they're kind of there. They don't, I don't, if you dropped into a 10 song album, I think it would be fine without those two. And then in terms of modern artists, you know, obviously Neil Young, Sonic Youth, My Bloody Valentine, those are all bands that people would 
be into and they'd be into Dinosaur Jr. That's that's, that's easy. I mean, if you, somebody's like a classic rock fan only and they're in the, really into Neil Young, you might go, hey, old man, if you're into Neil Young, maybe you should check out some of this Dinosaur Jr. because it's not that far off. But yeah. in terms of yeah. modern bands, the only one I could come up with is Yuck. I think Yuck has some similarity to Dinosaur Jr. And I don't think it's unintentional. Are you familiar hmm. with Yuck, Jay? Uh, I think I've heard. I have the album where I've heard it. I didn't really. I don't remember it very well. I think they have a couple good songs. I think. I mean, I think a band like Super Chunk is not far off in their in their louder moments from what yeah Dinosaur yeah. Jr. Well, is doing. They're more contemporaries. Right. They're, yeah. Exactly. They're contemporaries. He just he he comes from such a like. I think why he connected with me in the first place is that. You know, it opened my eyes that you could you could play um, you could sound heavy without tuning down necessarily you know it was like when the grunge thing happened all of a sudden it was like well if you want to sound like a heavy band you need to drop detune and basically play like these you know Black Sabbath-y kind of riffs right. he doesn't do that you know he still sounds incredibly heavy but he's playing more classic rock oriented melodic kind of riffs right so if you think about transpose that to current music uh there's not a lot of bands that do that i mean uh, you know no. not with the the level of sort of uh volume and and fuzz and just over the top you know energy and you know th- that he does you know it's uh either bands that tune t- tune down are more of like a black sabbathy kind of metal sound or cleaner guitars and they're more of a pop sound there's, there's not very many people in the middle um, now you know that's it's more classic rock like you said so I, I think it's more for people you know who haven't heard this band yet I think people who are more in the 70s you know in six late 60s uh, heavier uh, classic rock I think Neil Young is the, the best example have you heard of uh, Royal Thunder oh yeah you think that like they, they have to me like a classic rock you yeah, know. I think they they are more coming from a. To me, they're coming more from a Black Sabbath kind of. Gotcha. Place. They definitely have a modern tilt to it, and it's a different take on it. But it still seems, you know, when they get heavy, it still seems more like a Black Sabbath kind of place. This has just got that like you know, times with the drum parts and everything. It's got an off the rails punk attitude to it too. Mm-hmm. It just, I don't know. You just I don't hear many other bands that can that sound like this. Yeah, they're kind of in, in the same way that The Who is a band that is very unique and nobody's ever re- really replicated their sound. I, th- I feel like Dinosaur Jr. is kind of in that same boat where they do something that's such a weird combination of so many different things that it's almost impossible to really copy what they do. Yeah, that's a good point. And they're, and they're both bands that are obviously very influential to musicians, yet you know you don't hear very many musicians who actually can that sound like they do, yeah. <laughs> which is strange. Yeah. All right, well, I think that covers our discussion of Dinosaur Jr.'s Hand It Over. If you like what you heard, please consider heading on over to iTunes and leaving us some positive feedback. We would greatly appreciate it. And uh, that's about it. We're going to be back with another listener suggestion next week. So tune in. We'll be back with another episode of Dig Me Out. Lives. 
Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening. Thank you.